In just a moment, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but I have to tell you, it's not one of my favorite passages of scriptures to read. It's one of those that's least favorite to preach on because I think that it kind of gets preached on a bunch. Um, But today happens to be the day of love and Advent, and so we're going to talk about Paul's understanding of love this morning. Hear now these words from the 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do have do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three and the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. I get frustrated about this passage of scripture so often because in so many ways we read it all the time. We read it at weddings. We read it at funerals. We read it at, you know, just moments of saying I love you and we... We do this, but the, the, the problem with this is it's not the right kind of love. It's not a, a rom-com, right? It's not, for those of you that don't know what that means, it's not a rom- romantic comedy, right? It's not a love poem. We, we, we make it out to be a love poem. We make it into this thing that it's really not. It's a declaratory statement from Paul that God's love is bigger than anything that we would ever know. And it gives us some clues as to how that works. 
I can get away with this because my daughter is in Newton this morning. But when she was little, she had a problem with understanding the difference between being in love and the idea of being loved with the idea of love. She would watch these TV shows or these movies and she would form this opinion in her head and in her 12-year-old body of the perfect world and the perfect boyfriend and husband that came riding in on a white shiny horse and would steal her away from the dragon and that she was trapped in the tower with this mythical lifestyle and somehow or another this love would overpower everything and life would be so perfect and if the guy would just come and save her and take her away to a faraway land not realizing her dad the ogre wouldn't let them leave the city limits A lot of times we have this idea of love and we think that that's the love that Paul's talking about here and it's, it's not. That the idea of love towards a partner or a spouse is eros. It's a different Greek word altogether. This agape word, it's, it's, it's important that you understand that this agape love is the love that only God can give to you and he shares with you with the birth of our Savior. That agape love is not something that can be reproduced or imitated. It can be imitated. It can just not be completely replicated by human hands. That's why I struggle with this. It becomes starting to become a cliche in today's society that we have this idea that, oh, well, everything's going to be out perfect because love wins over all. My son just informed me that my daughter is watching. <laughs> Oops. Oops. I don't care. Going back to the same idea, this type of love is not the love that God is being shared here by Paul. I want you to think about it for just a minute. He gives us definitions. He says that this type of love that you're sharing is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't rejoice in the wrongdoings. Oh, man. I don't like that one. I mean, none of us have ever had that moment when our enemy has done something and it came, came back on them tenfold, right? Like they, you saw it happening to them and in the midst of it, something bad happens to them and you're like, well, they had it coming, right? And Paul is saying here, you should not rejoice in that moment, but rejoice in the truth. Well, the truth is they had it coming, Paul. <laughs> Paul wants us to look past that idea and say, but God's love loves our enemy just as much as he loves us. I want you to think of the context of the way that this is being written. He's in prison. He's writing to a church in Corinth. 
He's talking about God's love to a people that have not experienced God's love. All they have known is being underneath the boot heel of the Roman Empire. And in this place, they're being told, and God loves you and them. And God's love is patient and kind. It doesn't rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. What is the truth? We know that Paul is talking about Jesus. That God gave us Jesus, and that becomes the truth for Paul. I want you to think about what this love really means. I think a lot of us don't really think that we're worthy of that love. Or that we're able to have that type of love, that God can't love us. You know, I hear a lot of times from people in churches that at some point or another that God may have fallen out of love with me. That I've done something to push God's love away. I told myself I wasn't going to talk about Gunner this morning. Because it would be hard. It's like losing a family member. It's like losing a limb of who you are. God's love is unconditional. I remember a point in my life that I made a lot of really bad, bad choices. And there was a time that my mom and dad who tried to figure out what do we do with this really smart dumb, dumb kid. And Bill and June came into my life. What they extended to me was unconditional love in the sense of, well, as Gunnar would say, shipmate, that was not, those were not good choices. What are we going to do to fix this? A lot of times I would go to their farm, it would be to experience tough love because after I'd get in trouble or I'd say something stupid to my parents, I would go out to Bill and June's and I would have to work it off, whether it moved hay or moving horses or goats, it didn't really matter. I never noticed that I was actually working, I just noticed that Bill and June were taking me under their wing and trying to help me relate better with my parents. That's, that's what happens when you're in the military. Families take care of each other. Most of the time, it happens when one is on board ship for 18 months and one is and on base. In this case, we were there together. And it always bothered me because after... June died, he went away, and I hadn't seen him in over 20 years. And you have, to, you have to understand that he had such a huge impact in my life that when he walked in through the doors, I thought I was imagining things. When he came into our church four years ago, four years ago. And said, hey, shipmate. I mean, I just started weeping. Couldn't believe I was seeing him there. I'm coming to your church. I hope you don't mind. Uh, no, I, I don't mind. 
What are you doing on Tuesday? Uh, well, I have Bible study. What are you doing after that? I don't know. We're going to lunch. Okay. Where are we going? Wherever you want. So it's as if 20 years hadn't passed. It was as if it never ended. And in the midst of that moment, I became his pastor. Weird. And Gunnar would tell me things about, yeah, I keep coming to church because at some point God will tell me that it's okay and I'm going to be all right. And then I'll know that God loves me. What? Why would you ever think that? Well, you know, shipmate, I've, I've lived kind of salty. Uh, yeah. He said, you know, there are things I wish I could do differently. There are regrets that I have with my own boys. And I wish I could have done things differently, but maybe someday they'll know how much I love them. The hardest conversation I ever had with him was, I don't think I'm deserving of God's love because I must have done something wrong. And I remember looking him straight in the face and saying, oh, are you kidding me right now? Do you not remember the 15-year-old version of me that was nothing but trouble and somehow you extended unconditional love in the same way that God did? And right now he's your preacher, so you probably ought to shape up or ship out, shipmate. Well, Josh, you know, I, I need to... I understand, but... That's the type of agape love that you can bring to others. And you don't even know you do it. It took Gunner to be in my life in my 40s for him to realize that just those moments of me being out on the farm, working out on his farm, him showing me unconditional love, for him to truly understand that he had an impact on anyone. And I'm saying to you that you do the same thing for others when you extend that unconditional love, that everlasting love, that patience, that kindness, the one that doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. You are the vessel of God's love whether you choose to accept it or not. Now, I don't want to sit there and tell you that it's going to be an easy journey. But you cannot outlove God. It's just physically and spiritually impossible. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.